Hello, folks. Welcome to episode four of Poor Man's Lore. My name is Kevin Cody. We are going to jump right into it. Uh, got little time and a lot to cover. So, uh, where have I been? Let's start there. I have not posted in, I want to say, two, maybe three weeks. Uh, the reason for that is pretty cool, if you ask me. I went to MagicCon Philly. It was a whole lot of fun. Uh, got to, you know, see a lot of the artists, uh, have them sign cards, experience the wonders that the city of Philadelphia has to offer. And uh, it was a fun little weekend trip, did it with two buddies of mine, uh, one of whom is the only person that listens to this podcast currently, so shout out to Tyler. And uh, let's get into history of the multiverse. Uh, After that, I do want to touch on March of the Machine a little bit, a lot of new information, uh, first look at March of the Machine, we got some leaks from Lord of the Rings coming out, Uh, I would love to talk about all of that, do a little recap for folks. Uh, hopefully, let's see, we're recording this on like sometime before March, I want to say March 7th maybe, uh, which means we have a couple of days, nine days, until story starts coming out. Real quick at the top, I want to mention uh, the idea for stories. We're going to get 16 stories, or maybe it's 19, or 18 rather, it, it's either 16 or 18, but uh, bottom line, we're getting a lot of stories with March of the Machine, I am foaming at the mouth for any uh, any taste of that, I believe that's coming on the 16th of March, I want to say, maybe the 18th, I don't know, anyway, it, it it's all coming, it's like 16 or 18 uh, stories, and when it starts and all that, I think what I'm going to do is for each story... I want to do kind of like a mini episode. Uh, I have a small audio recorder. I'm sure the sound quality is going to be a little bit worse, but I really think that the niche that I am potentially going to be able to fill in the magic storytelling uh, in Vorthos community is that I will maybe be able to get things out uh, really quickly. That's my hope, at least, is I want to be able to take an episode that came out, uh, you know, potentially that day, do, you know, a quick recap for folks uh, who don't have the time to read it and give my take on it. Uh, I think it'll be a lot of fun. We'll try it out. I'm sure I will be wildly inconsistent and not posting every day, but follow along. If you see a bunch of, uh, you know, mini episodes or just straight up episodes after this, uh, you know, let me know what you think, like and review and all that shit on uh, Spotify. I hear it helps. So let's dive back into History of the Multiverse uh, Part 2. I believe last I, uh, when I left off, I, uh, I got tired and ended rather abruptly, so I believe I'm on Theros Godsend, uh, somewhere in that neighborhood. Excuse me as I take a sip of water. I'm not editing those out, so you take those times where it's silent to think about, uh, your life. How things are going in your own personal life. Silence is scary. Uh, Enjoy your time of reflection. Into Theros Godsend we go. So this is where Elspeth, uh, after uh, losing on New Phyrexia, which, you know, how appropriate she's back there now, uh, she goes to Theros, becomes the champion of the uh, sun god Heliod. He basically tasks her with removing 
the newly ascended god, uh, former planeswalker, Xenagos, from godhood, because it scares Heliod, and then he realizes after she does exactly that, oh shit, gods are not that powerful in relation to planeswalkers, so he stabs Elspeth quite literally, uh, well I guess he doesn't stab her in the back, he stabs her through the heart, but, uh, you know, worse perhaps. Uh, I really, really like Theros. It is one of my favorite planes. I will for sure someday do an episode uh, all about Crufix. It is, you know, that that story, uh, Crufix's insight is, I truly believe, some of the best magic storytelling out there. I highly encourage you to go read it. It's a really quick read. Uh, if you read one piece of magic uh, fiction, I encourage it. I encourage you to make it Crufix's insight. Uh, that is a story that came out from around then. That was, uh, I should mention, 59 ME, 59 years after the Mending. Again, recap, Mending is kind of like the birth of Jesus Christ in uh, the magic world. So 59 years after the Mending. Same year, we get uh, Tarkir and Dragons of Tarkir. I should also mention, this is uh, right around around when I started playing magic, so I'm a little more familiar with the lore from here on out. Uh, with the exception of a gap when I stopped playing. Uh, but I, I really, like, you know, like, my heart lies in Return to Ravnica, Theros, Godsend, and Tarkir specifically. With Tarkir, we get uh, Ugin talking to Sarkhan Vol, and he basically instructs him to come to Tarkir, which is Sarkhan's home plane, and do some time shit, to resurrect Ugin. Uh, let's see. So it says Sarkhan is transported back to the moment Bolas killed Ugin. Interesting. And saves the spirit dragon. Gotcha. Uh, by placing him in a hedron cocoon. And then he returns to the ple- present and uh, realizes, oh shit, all of, the, all of the dragons took over. So that's the Khans of Tarkir versus Dragons of Tarkir time bullshit. I think, uh, interestingly, and I'll, I'll start, you know, weaving in some of the things we saw, uh, coming out of the last day of Magic Con Philly, uh, there, they showed off some of the arts for invasion, uh, the new, the new card type we're getting, uh, the battle cards. I, I assume the battle cards are going to be like the invasion of, and they showed off a couple cards. So they showed off, one of them was the invasion of Tarkir. And I actually think that that is going to open up a really interesting can of worms on that plane where one of the things we saw is a completed version of Kolagon's brood. So on Tarkir currently, uh, with the five, with the five, uh, allied color pairings, they have a dragon Lord ruling over each, uh, faction. So, right. We got, let's see, hang on. Let me, I have a, a, a magic uh, ring that has the, the color pairings. I always look at that. So we got white-blue is Ojutai, black-blue is... Or, no, yeah, black... Sorry, yes, black-blue is Silumgar, red and black is Kolagon. Uh, you got red and green is Atarka, and green and white is Dromoka. So we see, I think it's Atarka and maybe uh, Dromoka type dragons, because all the dragons, like, they have a very, like, distinctive look to them, so you can, you, you don't know if it's, like, you know, Kolagon himself, or, like, a descendant of Kolagon, one of his brood, but we see a completed, uh, version of Kolagon 
taking on some other dragons in the art for Invasion of Tarkir, and I think it'd be really interesting to take that as kind of the way to remove the dragons, because, like, straight up, the Khan's timeline is better, and then they retconned it all, and so it's like, people want to go back to Tarkir, but they want the Khan's, because, like, that world was so cool. And I think Wizards, like, heard that feedback and definitely knows that feedback, so... I can only hope that they take this as an opportunity to go back to Tarkir. I would really love to, like, <laughs> top of my list at all times for return planes, uh, really in order, it's like Theros, Ravnica, Tarkir. I love those three, those three planes so much, and I think that if they wanted to, you know, maybe complete all five of the Dragon Lords, or, you know, do some something bad to the Dragon Lords, kill them off, uh, it would be really interesting to see, you know, th that's just like a perfect impetus for a future story on that plane. You know, you get uh, the humans in the wake of the dragon's death or defeat or disappearance trying to, you know, regain control. You know, you got five warring factions. It's like classic fantasy shit. I think it would be really compelling. So uh, moving on, we get... 259 ME still uh, for the next two entries. We have the battle for Zendikar, which is where the Gatewatch goes and tries to defeat the Eldrazi Titans, and then Chandra uh, microwaves them, and then they die. So that would be Ulamog and Kozilek. I guess a quick note on this, like, fun little meta metaphysics kind of lore thing is, like, the Eldrazi as a concept probably going to be coming back soon. I feel like someone told me that they had heard a rumor of some kind that after Phyrexia they were going to do the Eldrazi again. I don't know how credible that rumor was, but I mean, there's certainly the fact that Emrakul is just chilling on the moon at all times, which I guess I shouldn't skip right to that because that is the next entry on our list. But, you know, I think the Eldrazi are somewhat, uh, you know, left alone but we all kind of know they're coming back at some point because people love Eldrazi, you know? <clears throat> Excuse me. So when an Eldrazi shows up on a plane, it's like the physical manifestation of a fraction of their power, of their, uh, you know, collective being manifesting on the plane. So it's like, you know, imagine uh, the plane of Zendikar is a fishbowl and you, you know, dip your big toe into the fishbowl. That would be like the equivalent of, you know, Kozilek, his physical manifestation, which is already so, like, you know, massive and monstrous, uh, you know, same goes for Ulamog and Emrakul, you know, allowing themselves a part of their essence to physically appear on a plane. So, I guess, is this where they form the Gatewatch? Because it's battle for Zendikar. Uh, let's see, together they're able to combine their powers and destroy two of the Titans, yeah. Realizing they have the power to stop the interplanar threat together. They form the Gatewatch here. I guess they form the Gatewatch, but, like, come on. We all know the Gatewatch is, like, kind of... We, we know who's, like, been the the focus of the story for some time. So then we go on to Innistrad. Shadows over Innistrad, Eldritch Moon, all that. Uh, big surprise. The thing that is... Uh, the, the, the fun little gimmick with this one was, like something was going wrong, and there was a lot of, like, weird Eldritch Horror kind of stuff going on, and it turned out Emrakul was influencing Innistrad. Uh, they eventually... I, I actually really like the story for this. I really like Tamiyo. Uh, you know, not right now, but previously. 
Basically, Jace goes to Innistrad to investigate what the hell is going on there, and uh, the Gatewatch has to help lock up Emmercool. Uh, Tamio uses one of her Ironbound scrolls, which are like forbidden, powerful scrolls. Think of like you know the three forbidden spells in uh, Harry Potter. Uh, to seal Emmercool away in the moon. We know some of the other scrolls that she has, they're all based off, like, story magic, like, really powerful story magic. Uh, I know one of them is the Collapse of Sarah's Realm, which, I mean, essentially, that's just so much energy, I feel like that would just be, like, a nuclear bomb, but who knows? I, I do anticipate, I mean, if Wizards is smart, we will see some kind of reference to the Ironbound Scrolls at some point in the conclusion of the Phyrexia story. If I had to guess. So anyway, moving on from there, uh, well, I should mention Liliana uh, joins the Gatewatch basically to help her further defeat her demon lords. Uh, from there, we go back to Kaladesh, where that's where Chandra's from. We get to see her home world. Basically, Tezzeret puts on a science fair uh, in order to steal, uh, well, harvest tech uh, from Kaladesh, the plane of invention and innovation and artifice and all of that. Uh, it's a plane running abundant with a substance called Aether. It's, it's kind of like mana, but not quite mana. It is like pure energy, uh, and there's a, a, just a lot of it. So they turn on public access to Aether, and people go nuts, and someone creates the planar, uh, planar bridge, a way to travel between planes, uh, this is kind of unbeknownst to most, the start of the Bolas arc, where it's all going to culminate in uh, the War of the Spark. So the next couple sets, I think it's the next, yeah, next three in a row, really. Uh, it's kind of like what they've done now with, like, the Phyrexian arc. This was the first foray into, uh, you know, multi-block storytelling, where it's not completely uh, apparent where they're going with it from the jump, but then it all comes together, and it's, I, I really like that way of storytelling, it makes it feel like, I, I like these event sets, you know, uh, every couple of years, you get, like, a big, cool event, I don't know how I would feel if they did it every year, uh, but I think the pace they're on now is pretty good, so essentially, uh, this is now in the year, uh, 60 ME, I guess this all takes place in 60 ME, uh, from here to War of the Spark, but basically, Bolas goes to Kaladesh, uh, well, Tezzeret goes to Kaladesh on Bolas's behest, and puts the planar bridge inside of his body, so that uh, when, you know, Nicol Bolas goes to and becomes the god pharaoh of Amonkhet in the same year, uh, the Gatewatch goes and tries to defeat him, they get their ass kicked really, really bad, uh, I believe, I mean, I assume this is when Liliana kills her demon that lives on Amonkhet. Uh, but basically, Bolas sets up this whole system on Amonkhet where he preaches that if you want to live your life with honor, you do these things called the trials. And basically, the like the goal at the end of it, he wants to make a zombie army. So if you like pass all these trials of the gods of Amonkhet, uh, for, like, the glory of your god pharaoh, who is Bolas, then you can be mummified for, like, eternal glory or something like that. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. This is, I will say, like, this is kind of the, you know, where my 
I, I took a break from the game from Kaladesh to, I guess, uh, return to return to Ravnica. So I'm kind of glossing over this, but I'm sure the storytelling's great. I haven't personally, uh, you know, delved deep on it. Definitely somewhere I need to revisit. Uh, but basically, this zombie army is all in service of his War of the Spark plan. We'll see this army of uh, zombie soldiers coated in a substance called Lazatep later. Uh, and I'll, I'll explain it all when we get to War of the Spark. So then we go to Ixalan. Uh, Jace wakes up there with no memories. How does he get there, I guess, is my question. I guess maybe he gets thrown there from Amonkhet in his defeat. Uh, but essentially the storytelling here, I have read a little bit of this, uh, of Jace and Vraska. It's really wonderful. Basically Jace wakes up on Ixalan, has no idea what's going on. He is rescued by pirate Vraska and they, you know, fall in love. It's like a, a nice little story in a vacuum. Uh, but when Jace gets his memory restored, he realizes that Bolas hired Vraska, kind of like he hired Tezzeret, uh, to steal the immortal son. And then uh, they, because they fell in love and they remember all of this, basically go, oh, okay, let's, you know, let's screw Bolas's plan up. Uh, the immortal son is a really powerful artifact. Basically, its uh, MacGuffin powers are it stops planeswalkers from being able to planeswalk. So that's why Jace wakes up there and he can't immediately planeswalk away, which is a really interesting thing narratively because normally planeswalkers are so powerful, they can just leave if anything goes awry. Like, in the new Capenna story, I think one of the funniest things is, like, they actually don't use this as much as they could, where, like, a planeswalker gets into some hot water and they just leave. Like, Obnixilis is, like, doing a whole, like, mob takeover thing and then Elspeth, like stabs him or something and he's just like all right well you know gave it my best shot peace out and he just fucking leaves and that's like that's funny because like that's what planeswalkers used to do like back in the old storytelling is like basically leave as soon as shit gets real uh it you know i think it's a, a fun narrative device to have the immortal sun be a way for that not to happen uh so anyway i guess they must get it there i don't know they get it to to Ravnica somehow, but we go back to Dominaria, and this is a, a actually a big set, uh, you know, in a meta-narrative sense, where people really, really liked the Dominaria set. Uh, I think it was one of the best-selling sets of all time, you know, obviously, it makes sense. People love Dominaria. We did so many sets on Dominaria. There's so much lore to reference back to. I really like the set. I think it blossomed, you know, because of the rise of Commander, partially, uh, Essentially, we go back to Dominaria and also the Weatherlight. I love the Weatherlight. I, my Weatherlight deck was built, you know, because of some of the tools we got here. But anyway, uh, Liliana goes to kill her fourth demon, who is Demon Lord Belzenlock. Uh, basically, there's some evil cabal plan to take over the plane of Dominaria. The Weatherlight crew stops them, and it's awesome. But then Liliana discovers that the fine print of her contract once all her demons were uh, killed was she now belongs to Nicol Bolas. So that sucks. Uh, she basically becomes his little minion, and Teferi also, in the meantime, gets his spark back and joins the Gatewatch. 
which is kind of crazy that Teferi's only been around since like 2018 again, but he feels like super ubiquitous. So anyway, uh, from there we go to Return to, Return to, Ravnica, and Return to, Return to, Ravnica 2, and then War of the Spark, where basically the end game commences, uh, I believe that's a card name, but Bolus just shows up, full-fledged invasion of uh, Ravnica, he calls all of the planeswalkers there with the interplanar beacon, and then traps them there with the Immortal Sun. And then he starts killing them. So I think the only real sub substantive deaths we had from this, uh, Dak Faden, who got killed off-screen in the fucking trailer, Domri Raid, and uh, the big one, Gideon. So, you know, Gideon dies. Uh, the end result of it is Ugin imprisons uh, Bolas in the Meditation Realm with no name because the way that Elder Dragon magic works is they draw all their power from their name, so if he forgets his name, he has no power. Uh, so that's, you know, kind of like the Eldrazi. We're just putting him in a pocket dimension, and uh, we'll come back when we need a big bad. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing a couple more years we'll get Bolas back as the big bad. It's classic. Everyone loves him. Uh, then, same year, 60 ME, nice little level set, we go to Eldraine and the Throne of Eldraine storyline. Basically, uh, there's a king, King Kenrith, he, uh, he has two children who turn out to be Will and Rowan, kind of a cool, uh, throw forward from Battlebond, where I think Battlebond technically takes place after the events of Throne of Eldraine, uh, but the two of them share a spark and uh, that gets explored a little bit further in the Strixhaven storyline. Uh, I, I do like Will and Rowan as a narrative device, having two planeswalkers share a spark, and we do know that we're going back to Eldraine after the events of March of the Machine, so I do think that will be interesting. Uh, you know, another note on Eldraine, one of the cards that we did see spoiled from MagicCon uh, Philly when they did the reveal in the Aftermath set was the Kenrith's Royal Funeral. So we know that the Kenriths die. We also saw completed art for uh, Ayara, first of Lockthwain. Lock so we know that the black-aligned uh, faction on the plane of uh, Eldraine becomes corrupted by Urabrask's faction of New Phyrexia. So... It, definitely a, a lot to see, uh, you know, still coming from March and Machine and all that. Uh, but essentially the other subplot is Oko, who I fucking love uh, in both, you know, card sense and also like narrative sense. He's just a super fun character and I really hope he's one of our new big bads because he's so cool. Uh, he takes Garrick, who shows up on Eldraine for some reason, as uh, essentially a slave and somehow Garrick breaks out of that, and he starts mentoring the Royal Scions. He takes a dip in the Cauldron of Eternity, which frees him from the Curse of the Chain Veil. Uh, this is when I really started reading Magic Lore again after I got back into the game. Uh, but I, 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 I think the storyline for this set is pretty decent. Uh, we get Garrick back, we get the Royal Scions, he get you know... Uh, we get Oko, so it's kind of, I, I like Eldraine as like the, okay, well, we've just had a big event set, let's go level set kind of world, uh, it'll be interesting to go back, power-wise, great set, lore-wise, fun set. 
And uh, now we get to Theros Beyond Death, which is perhaps the darkest moment for magic lore in quite some time. Rumor has it there was a novel written and then scrapped at the last moment for who knows what reason. Uh, I know Jay Anelli claims to have read it. Uh, basically, the way they handled magic story in this time was instead of giving us a novel or any web fiction, uh, they basically just put out like preview articles with like, <laughs> I remember one of them had like a misspelling. It was just terribly, terribly managed where it'd be like, hey guys, check out Heliod. He's the god of the sun. That's about it for him. Like, like no, no thought, no real like rich lore you know, deep dive or anything like that. So, you know, a lot of the times you see characters like, you know, Daxos, for example, gets killed by Elspeth, and now he's back as a demigod. I'm sure there is a lore reason why that happened. I'd love to know it. You know? They just don't really touch on it. So, I'll just read right from the book, because that's about as much as we get. Elspeth is visited by the nightmare weaver Ashiok in the underworld, who shakes her from the illusion of paradise that she'd been trapped in. She ventures through the underworld, spreading the tale of Heliod's betrayal. With the help of Erebos, god of the dead, traps Heliod in the underworld. As a boon, Erebos grants a return to life. Okay, great. Elspeth is back, that's what comes out of that. So then, uh, we have Ikoria, which was a really fun uh, set. Not, you know, It kind of exists in a vacuum, again. Uh, Vivian is trying to do the Vivian thing where she finds a home for the lost souls of her world, because I guess Bolas corrupted her world, and now she carries all the souls in the arc bow, uh, which is a bow that she just gets to shoot like animal illusions out of. Vivian's cool. I like Vivian's like power set. Uh, we get to meet Luca, who is super great. Uh, one of the things I didn't like about Ikoria is, like, the stories on the card told one story of Luca, like, bonding with the monster and it being, like, a really cool, like, deep emotional bond, like a bond of love, when in reality Luca's just kind of a piece of shit once he starts bonding with animals. Uh, he, like, tries to do an invasion. He, like, shows up. I, this was, like, COVID times. It was a dark time in the <laughs> meta context of magic. But, uh, yeah, we get to meet Luca and, you know, <laughs> essentially it doesn't really fucking matter what his storyline is because he just winds up being a big gross blob of meat for new Phyrexia to corrupt. Uh, but I guess they, they stop Luca. Narset's here, which is fucking cool. I love when they put, like, an alien kind of planeswalker, like, Narset is, like, you know, non-creature spells on, like, creature world, Ikoria, so very cool decision to do that. Really appreciated that. Moving on, uh, oh, and I should mention that is in 61 years after the Mending. Uh, moving on from that, we have also 61 years after the Mending for, uh, up until Streets of New Capenna, everything is 61 years after the Mending. We have Zendikar Rising. Basically, uh, Jace, Nahiri, and Nyssa get into a fight about what uh, what to do with good old Zendikar. Uh, I guess Nyssa leaves the Gatewatch. Or no, I guess she already left the Gatewatch at the end of... I don't fucking know. But honestly, the story was not that interesting here. I don't remember if we got web fiction back for that. Or maybe we did. I don't know, I wasn't honestly super into it at that point, but uh, then we kind of start the meta 
you know, over several sets, let's tell a story with Kaldheim where we see Vorinclex show up uh, out of nowhere. Kaya tries to hunt him down. We get introduced to Tyvar Keld. Uh, I feel like I'm going long, so I'm going to try and speed up a little bit. Uh, we see Tybalt spreading chaos as the god of lies. He's like the Loki allegory. Uh, I should mention, like, really what is important about Kaldheim is Vorinclex steals a seed uh, from the world tree. So the world tree, I guess Kaldheim really, it's not one plane, it's actually ten. Uh, connected by this thing that exists in the Blind Eternities called the World Tree. Eventually we see Phyrexia takes this, corrupts it, and uses it as a way to bridge all of the planes and start an invasion. So then we go to Strixhaven. We get to see Will and Rowan. I don't know a whole lot about what actually goes down here. I know Luca's there. Uh, I know we get introduced to uh, Kazmina, but we don't. I don't know how much we get lore about her. We get introduced to Quintorius. A lot of a lot of fun characters, but uh, basically that's when Strixhaven occurs. I know uh, Will loses a leg, and then he has to make a leg out of ice. So I'd love to see how that actually goes. But basically, uh, you know, Rowan kind of becomes like not evil, but like not inherently good, and it's interesting to see that friction between her and her brother when there is that, like, ooh, you know, like, maybe they don't want the same thing. Maybe they don't want to keep, you know, learning and exploring. Like, Will might want to go back and take the throne now that we know the parents are dead. That would be really interesting to see. Maybe we'll see a way for them to get uh, their own, you know, autonomy over, you know, even half a spark. Or maybe he just gives the spark to Rowan and he stays on Eldraine. Who knows? After that, we get Innistrad, Midnight Hunt, and Crimson Vow. This is basically the the magical MacGuffin there, I think. There's no Praetor there. So I think the only thing is, like, the Moonsilver Key. Um, I don't know what actually happens. Let's see. Uh, basically, they have to stop the Eternal Knight. That's pretty much it. Then they restore balance. I don't think anything really happens in, like, a greater story context. But, I mean, hey, that's where the set is. Uh, 61 years after the mending, we get Kamigawa Neon Dynasty. The big thing here is that Jenga Taxis is there. Tamiyo falls to Jenga Taxis. We find out the Wanderer is the Wandering Emperor. We get introduced to Kaido Shizuki, uh, who's a really fun character. I really did like the storytelling on this. This is where I really started getting back into, like, the webcomics. I remember I, like, very intently read them. Uh basically because I really like Tamio and I wanted to see what was going on with her, and then she got completed, so uh, I, I found out. Already kind of touched on Nuka Penna. The MacGuffin there is Halo. That's 62 years after the mending. Uh, basically, Vivian does Vivian shit trying to find a home uh, on Capenna. It, again, doesn't really go well. Elspeth uh, basically is there because that's her home. That's the that's the big, uh, you know, greater importance we do know Phyrexians have existed here. We don't know if they're like old school Yogmoth Phyrexians or, you know, new school uh, new Phyrexians. But we do know that because Elspeth is from there, that that is true, that uh, they do exist there. Uh, I read some of the narrative on this one. I don't think I read the side stories as much. I wasn't, like, super interested in Streets of Nukapenna, but I think that the storytelling was pretty good overall in that we got a story... Uh, basically we see Elspeth 
like, you know, it's just a bunch of like, you know, mafia shenanigans. And I, I see, uh, I, I guess Elspeth, you know, finds her way and finds out that this is her home. And they kind of vaguely hint at Elspeth is going to get like angel powers. The halo is again, the important thing here. It's like magical angel juice, uh, that Phyrexians don't like. It has like healing properties. It's kind of like magic meth, uh, is the way I've heard it you know, disgust is, uh, it makes you really strong and it makes you really confident. And I guess it also heals you. So maybe not like, you know, meth exactly, but basically, uh, from there we go to Dominaria United 62 years after the mending, uh, Shieldred tries to take over. This is where we really begin the Phyrexia arc in earnest. Oh, I should mention, uh, Urubrask was on, uh, Capenna, not really for any super important reason, but uh, we see Shieldred try to invade. We see a Johnny get completed. Uh, we see Karn get like yoinked into uh, New Phyrexia. We see Jaya Millard die, uh, sacrificing herself in that uh, battle. And, well, I guess not really sacrificing herself. I guess she just gets murdered. But uh, I don't know. It's 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 sad. Basically, it's the start of like the Coalition versus Phyrexia, uh, and then we get the best set of all time, actually, which is Brothers War. Uh, I'm not going to talk a lot about Brothers War because I am going to for sure do whole episodes about the Brothers War. I really wanted to make my podcast during the Brothers War, but I was too busy enjoying the Brothers War, so I didn't. Uh, basically, it's Urza versus Mishra. In the meta context, it's Teferi going back in time to talk to Urza to see how the Silex works and like what is going on in that respect. It's a fantastic read. There's a whole novel by, I think it's Jeff Grubb or something like that. Uh, I will do episodes about Brothers War in the future. And does that get us? Oh, we're done. We are done with History of the Multiverse because after that is Phyrexia All Will Be One. And that is a whole other can of worms uh, as it is quite literally uh, Phyrexia. But basically the outcome of Brothers War Teferi gets... uh, Blasted to Zalfir. I think I already talked about uh, some of that. Maybe I did, maybe I didn't. But uh, basically, it's it's team-up time. All the Planeswalkers at the end of Brothers War uh, in the present-day timeline are ready to go storm New Phyrexia, and I'm sure that goes really well, uh, and no one gets completed. I'm sure. So from there, I think maybe... I, do I want to like go over Reddit, just kind of recap... No, because I guess, I guess not really, because there's nothing really on Reddit uh, new. I guess I'm seeing there's maybe a new spoiler for Lord of the Rings, but it looks like that was taken down, so no news there, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, basically just going through what was spoiled at uh, Magicon Philly, not spoiled, I guess, first look. Uh, the big things are, yes, this next set will have all of the Praetors in it. Uh, we saw for Jingataxis a card that is Jin on one side and the Great Synthesis on the other. So it's a creature that flips into a saga, which I think is a really great way to fit what is essentially a fucking lot of lore into a character and card. Uh, we also see team-up cards. We get Drana and Linvala from Zendikar, Yargle and Multani, which is an 18-6 vanilla creature. First time we've seen a vanilla creature in several sets. That's from Dominaria. Thalia and the Gitrog monster, which is, like, just slam-dunk home run. Uh, I, when, when I, when I, when I was at 
uh, Magic on Philly, and Mark Rosewater was on stage doing something and vamping for time, he said that this was one of the biggest narrative asks that he has ever uh, said yes to at Wizards, which I assume is the team-up cards. Uh, so we got Thalia and the Gitrog. One of the fun things is we see that, like, you know, if a card is from Dominaria, it's going to have, like, the stained glass treatment. If a card is from uh, Innistrad, it's going to have, like, the Innistrad, like, harvest-looking kind of treatment. Uh, then we see something that's really upsetting personally. We see Heliod gets completed. Not that I like Heliod, but that Theros gods are capable of being completed. Please don't complete uh, Kruvix. I'd be very upset. But God damn it! if that art doesn't look super cool. We see in March of the Machines, they're going to be multiverse legends, so kind of like Strixhaven had Mystical Archives and Brothers War had uh, the artifacts, uh, the retro artifacts. You are going to, in I think in each pack, uh, get a random legend reprint. Uh, the notable reprints are Atraxa, Praetor's Voice, and uh, Ragavan, the Nimble Pilferer, so that's exciting. The Commander decks are going to have uh, Planes Chase cards in them. That's really cool. Uh, other team-up cards, we have, I guess, only three. I think it's only... I, I would have thought that it was going to be five, but I think it's only three. Uh, team-up cards, we have Goro, Goro, and Satoru. We have Katilda and Lier, and we have Slimefoot and Squee. That's going right in the Weatherlight deck. You know that much. Uh, but those are going to be promo cards that you get with your pre-release kits. They are not eligible to be played in the pre-release, but cool cards nonetheless, definitely geared towards Commander. Uh, we get Galta and Marvin, or, uh, yeah, M Maverin. Uh, we get to see this cool new, because uh, we haven't actually been to Ixalan while we've had, like, the Booster Fun era, so we don't have, like, a specific type of card, uh, you know, style treatment, so we get to see this, like, a cool gold coin and, like, a you know, it's very decorated with, like, leaves, and, like, uh, it looks very, you know, Ixalani, kind of, like, Mayan, Central American looking. Uh, we get a new five-color Omnath that I believe is the Biobox promo. Yes, it is. Uh, it is five-color because he gets completed by Phyrexia. It is very cool mechanically, not very cool lore-wise, in my opinion. Some important dates. We got March 16th through the 27th. That is when March of the Machine story comes out. I believe that would be 18 then. Uh, 18 individual stories, which is like crazy. But like I said, many episodes for those. March 29th, we're going to see the set debut, the cinematic trailer, and previews begin that day. The That's going to run through April 4th, so March 29th through the 4th, we're going to see card previews. April 5th, we're going to see the complete card image gallery uh, out. April 14th is going to be pre-release. I guess those run technically until the 20th, but let's be real, we're all going the 14th. Uh, April 18th is when that is going to be released on... Uh, March Machine is going to be released on Magic Arena and Magic Online. The 21st is the Global Tabletop release, and then they have some in-store launch party events the 21st through the 23rd. Uh, notably... I, you know, it's a lore podcast, so I'm going to kind of run through some of what we've seen. Uh, they they revealed some information in a kind of, uh, not in a way you would expect. <sighs> Excuse me while I drink water. So we see uh, the, what, what are those called? They come in tapped and they gain you a lifelands, whatever those are, whatever that cycle's called. I'm going to go through each one and read the flavor text, because they tell us quite a bit more than you would think they do. 
So having learned of New Capenna's Halo supply, Elish Norn dispatched Atraxa herself to bring the world to heal. So what does that mean? Uh, well, it explains why we got that like secret lair Atraxa. Uh, I, I appreciate when there's lore reasons for decisions like why the fuck, <laughs> why when we went to Streets of New Capenna did we get uh, a Brea and a Atraxa reprint there that just made no sense in a lore perspective uh, to put them in that frame but perhaps now we will see why that is a thing perhaps that was a throw forward so that is atraxa on new capenna i think atraxa is probably going to get cured via like some halo nonsense and then we're going to get like pure atraxa and i can like atraxa be pretty cool uh blossoming sams let's see the copper host brought a hideous mockery of new life to amonkhet's death curse desert so we see Amonkhet get evade uh, invaded here dismal blackwater looks like kamigawa to me the invasion trees branch it, branches snaked through the streets of otawara turning kamigawa's soaring city into a clouded nightmare okay so ah damn tamio's family lives there that like fucking sucks that's that's gonna be brutal to watch uh let's see jungle hollow we see on the surface of ixalan's vast tar pit Phyrexian oil glistened, the old bones began to stir. I think we might have seen Phyrexian oil, or at least, like, maybe it was just, like, oil from, like, fossils on Ixalan before. Uh, I think it is entirely possible we get to see Sahili and uh, Watley on Ixalan at this point, because they have confirmed that the two of them are together. Dino robots would be fucking sick on Ixalan. Uh, I'm calling that set Journey to the Center of the Ixalan because it is that, and uh, like that movie with uh, PETA from The Hunger Games and Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Anyway, back to flavor text. Rugged Highlands, uh, the Royals, Endicar's plane-wide immune system rose in full force against the threat of Phyrexian invasion. We see Windscarred Crag. Uh, Sarah was a symbol of hope to Dominaria, so Norn defiled her temples with monuments to Phyrexia. And then uh, I'm skipping over that one because it's upsetting to me, and we will cover that one last. Uh, let's see, we got Scoured Barrens. The oil seeped from Ikoria's crystals. Ew. Strange metallic mutations emerged in monsters all across the plane. That sucks. Uh, Kaladesh's wondrous inventions and glowing aether were of utmost interest to Jenga Taxus and his chrome host. I mean, that just makes so much sense. Hopefully uh, we can get some... Maybe Sahili saving the day there? Who knows? Uh, deep in Eldraine's wild, strange eye-like appendages twined uh, around the vines and fairy lights. So we see uh, Eldraine there, and then uh, the one that breaks my heart. Tranquil Cove, uh, the sky darkened as the seas turned to oil, and the gods of Theros themselves fell to New Phyrexia. The key word there being gods. Don't like that. Uh, I, I know we saw Heliod fall. It's entirely possible the others will also fall. Uh, I think that's about all they shared that day, but I don't know. There was definitely other stuff. Like, we saw the invasion of Chandelar uh, being mentioned. So, like, Chandelar, which, really interesting, like, metaphysics. I really thought Chandelar was going to be, like, a rebel home base because the plane... Uh, unlike other planes, actually moves around. It's not like a stationary location in the Blind Eternities, so I don't know, maybe there's something there, but I thought that was really, really cool. Uh, we're also getting Commander Masters, which really you wouldn't think matters for lore reasons, uh, but you'd be wrong, because we're getting a Commander... Uh, not Commander. Uh, Commodore Guff 
Commander Precon, and I'm very excited. So first look at that is, oh my god, March 14th. That's coming up, like, wicked soon. Holy shit. We'll probably, ah, man, maybe we'll get the guff. No, probably not. No, probably not, because we didn't get that for... Sorry, I'm just trying to figure out when I get to see Guff, but uh, May 30th might be the answer. That's the debut of that set. June 16th, we get pre-release for... Oh, wait, sorry, this is all for Lord of the Rings. Never mind that. When are the dates for Commander Masters? Uh, We don't have them yet. I remember August 4th being a date. Sorry, so for Lord of the Rings, March 14th, first look. May 30th, debut. Uh, June 16th, pre-release. June 20th, arena release. Arena release for Lord of the Rings, really. Interesting. June 23rd, tabletop release, and November 3rd, a holiday release. I'm sure that's going to be a fun cash grab for us to deal with. But Commander Masters is what I'm excited about. I think that is just about the last thing I have to say. Yeah, that's been the History Multiverse Multiverse uh, Part 2. Thank you for listening. Uh, please remember to rate and uh, review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Share it with your friends. Word of mouth is how I want to grow this thing right now. I know it's basically just my friends listening to it. Let's end at 45 minutes exactly. Goodbye.